0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. I was going to greet you in Jesus' name. Uh, let's just pray before we start. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your presence with us. Thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are everywhere present. You're here. and thank you that you know all of our pasts and all of our futures. And you know our hearts this morning here. So I pray that this time could be a time of of, uh, turning our hearts towards you and recognizing your sovereignty, your claim in our lives so we can serve you better. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Matt was talking about uh, God's faithfulness in uh, a choice of topic. Um, and then the rest of the service, uh, what um, Matt said and then what uh, Michael and Melissa said, um, the songs we sang, I, I just kind of thought, well, why am I saying this? <laughs> but uh, I will believe that God has a purpose uh, for the topic this morning. Uh, it seems a bit out of place to me. That's okay. I'm not omnis- omniscient. Uh, I don't know um, uh, what God has in mind. It, except that it was good for me to study it. If that's all I got out of it, it was worthwhile. <laughs> <clears throat> if you folks can uh, hang in there, I guess. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, the title for this message this morning is "Beating the Blues." That is a flippant, trite, stale cliché, <laughs> but the process has been relevant for almost all of human history. The first little teeny section, there were no blues to beat. <clears throat> and If you don't like trite clichés, you can try discouragement, anecdotes, and antidotes. I want to read out of uh, Psalm 31. You can listen. Uh, I want you to be able to, to try to feel what David is writing this psalm, what David is, is feeling. David was a gentleman that would, we would find quite interesting, I think, if he was around today. He wore his feelings out on his shirt sleeve and showed them off to everybody. When he got all excited about the ark of God coming back, he danced with all his might and got his, little, his, uh, his uh, robe a little flat, pretty high, I guess, and his wife was embarrassed. Uh, and she said, "You foolish, per- you foolish husbands! You act like the the, the weirdos. You not really don't have a sense of shame here." And uh, you know, he scolded her, her for that. And uh, so he was a, a very uh, uh, impetuous person, perhaps, uh, impulsive. You know, whatever he did, he did with all his might. And so when he was mourning, he mourned with all his might. When he was rejoicing, he rejoiced with all his might. So in Psalms, we have great contrasts. I want not read part of the dark side of the contrast. Uh, the first part of the message here on discouragement or beating the blues. I'll read from uh, Psalm 31, starting verse 9. And again, try to, to to feel the hurt. I don't know where you hurt when you grieve or when you're disappointed or when somebody else hurts. Uh, but in there are situations when I have a pain it may be in my throat or maybe in my chest, or abdomen area of, I don't know, sympathetic pain or whatever you going to call it. Um, when you're grieving yourself or disappointed in yourself. Um, and hopefully it doesn't happen every week, but, or uh, you're, you're sympathizing with somebody else. There's physical pain. And feel, feel David's pain here if we can. His distress. Uh, Psalm 39. Starting at verse I'm sorry, Psalm thirty one starting at verse nine. Uh, I should I first. I don't know when in David's life he wrote this psalm, uh, but various incidences throughout his life uh, match with different of the statements he made here. So Psalm 31, verse 9: Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with grief; yea, my soul and my belly, his stomach is tensed up. His throat aches from holding back the tears. That's the picture we get here in verse 9. His eyes consumed with grief, his soul and his belly. He's physically uh, in discomfort because of the grief that he's experiencing. For my life is spent with grief. I'm all used up. My life is spent with grief. And my years with sighing. This isn't just a a bad day he's having. My years are spent with sighing. Get up tomorrow morning. Try again. Do whatever. His years with sighing. His children were uncontrollable. His government was in revolt at times. His marriages were blighted. His years were spent with sighing. My strength faileth because of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. His morals are in shambles. I was reproached among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I fear to my acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. At one point, he feigned insanity to try to convince the Philistines he was harmless. And he let the spit fall down in his beard and scrabbled at the doors, it says, in the King James terminology, until the king said, Achish said, why did you bring this crazy guy here? He was captured. And he said... Kick him out. I don't want him here. I don't want to be associated with people like that. And they chased him away. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. Think back in your ancestry. You maybe know your grandpa, or your great-grandpa. But not very far back, the people in your past, you have no idea what they were like, who they were, who they were where they lived. Uh, these people behind the curtain over there, painted, the folks who lived here years ago, who knows about them? They had lives. They had hopes and fears and disappointments and, and, and uh, exciting days. But no one knows anything about them. Like a dead man out of mind, forgotten in the past by people, at least not by God. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind, I am like a broken vessel. I can't even carry water in the bucket. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side, while they took counsel together against me. They devised to take my, they devised to take away my life. He roamed through the wilderness around uh, Israel, sometimes in the Philistine country. He roamed the wilderness with. With 400 troublemakers, and the Bible specifies those who were in debt, those who were discontented, and those who were—I um, don't know—misfits—came and joined David out in the wilderness. And while he was had all these 400 troublemakers around him, trying to uh, babysit them, I guess the 401st troublemaker was chasing him and trying to kill him. I think David struggled with discouragement at times. I think he had kind of a, a, a spiky life. High, low, high, low. Maybe his personality kind of came out that way. Uh, in Psalm 102, I'm to so read some of that. Some more grief. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as in heart. My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. You're in so sad that you forgot to eat or didn't feel like eating, took your appetite away. Disappointments or lack of motivation or just what's these? I can't do it anyway. Whatever situation you're working with. By reason of my voice, the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. That's pretty useless. What's a pelican doing in the wilderness? Pelicans should be out by the seashore. And if this means cormorant or something like that, it's still a seabird. I'm like an owl of the desert. I watch. I'm awake. I'm watching. I watch. And I'm as a sparrow alone on the housetop. My enemies approach me all the day. They that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of thine indignation and thy wrath. For thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that declineth. They're going down on the sundial. It's just a shadow and it's going away. Even the day that I had unwithered like grass. Those pretty cut flowers you had they dry up and bend over and collapse and withered like grass discouragement has has a whole wide range of expressions Uh, and as discouragement progresses uh, people give it different names uh, along the way Um, discouragement can be a, a loss of confidence and what you thought you could do, you suddenly start believing that I can't do this after all. <clears throat> Accompanied by feelings of defeat, uh, helplessness, uh, maybe worthlessness. Once you decide you can't do something that you thought you could, then you s- discover that you weren't as smart as you thought you were or as strong as you thought you were. Um, and discouragement can, 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 uh, can set in. i tell you a story about myself. Um, I, thought I hadn't had time to say this, but I think I will, because it, it, it brings out the point of how this happens to people: overestimate your abilities. Uh, about ten years ago, uh, I moved my family and I to uh, Pennsylvania. and Did sort of this Abraham-style moving, uh, and I, to, I was I planned to teach school at Lebanon Valley Christian School. And what oops. went through the interview, and um, the administrator was not sure that I could do what I thought I could do. But I thought I could. I taught six years before. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, six, six years before. Um, in two different schools,
1: um,
0: and so I started in. And the first week was the worst week of my life. I never had a week that bad before or since. Thankfully, uh, I lost about five pounds probably in that week. Uh, I just wasn't prepared for the the intensity. Of, of my new job after about uh, two months or so I realized that I'm not keeping up with my teaching with my, with, my, with my learning to teach learning things learning the information to teach the students and so I had to humble myself and do like the administrator said I would do And tell him that I am stuck. And so, they were very gracious people over there. Very gracious and merciful. They rented a set of uh, teaching DVDs that homeschoolers would use from Abeka. And I babysat my chemistry class the rest of the year, watching the teacher on on screen. That was a really hard time of my life. One of the seniors was uh, wished he could be out of school and wasn't, didn't really want to be there. And he told his, his dad, he doesn't know why you have to go to school. He knows more than the teacher does. And he was perfectly right. He could explain the chemistry uh, concept to me better than I could. And you know, I was supposed to be teaching. So, the feeling of, of uh, helplessness. Why am I even here? How can they bear to pay me anything? You know, those kinds of feelings. <clears throat> Okay, it's easier to see a situation and learn from a situation which is not inside of you at the moment. So I'm going to go through some examples in, through the scriptures, the Bible, of people who faced discouragement and how they, how, what triggered it, and then a bit of how, how they could overcome discouragement as well with some other people. Uh, Elijah, we're familiar with Elijah, the story of Elijah in Kings uh, chapter 19. And if I'm going to read a lot, they're going to talk about it. So, uh, the Mount Carmel experience, uh, the prophets of Baal were uh, uh, evicted, oosted, uh, killed. Jezebel was mad, and um, you know, Elijah ran away. We don't read that God gave him instructions of where to go. He just, just ran away. Because of what someone said. <clears throat> God had given him instructions about how to handle the Mount Carmel experience, and it was a great victory. Uh, but somehow Jezebel triggered Elijah's discouragement button. <clears throat> and it seems from the account that he felt helpless. He felt like, what am I doing here? I, I, I can't do this. I can't handle this. I have to get out, get out of the situation. In First Samuel 17, there's another. Uh, account there where the Philistines and Israelites were camped on either side of a a valley. And I don't get how this warfare is supposed to work back then. But for over a month, this big guy came out and yelled at the other side and went back home again. I mean, who fed these people? They just sat there. Goliath came out of the Philistine camp. It says for 40 days. That's more than a month. And he would yell at the Israelites. So the Israelites, Israelite soldiers, they stayed on their side of the of valley, of the ravine, and the Philistines were camped on the other side of the ravine uh, until they for, for, for a, more than a month. And the Israelites being yelled at every day and told how stupid they were and how wimpy they were and how wimpy their God was and being poo pooed. You know, and then they, would, they, they were powerless to do anything about it. because of what Goliath was saying, someone said to you. Or sometimes actions would discourage people, push people's discouragement, trigger a button. Uh, Back to Elijah. When Elijah was uh, up on the mountain, after his run run to the mountain, and God came and talked with him, um, God said, what are you doing here? (laughs) I don't think we talked about being here. Uh, What are you doing here? And Elijah said, well, the Israelites—they they're rejecting you. They they tore down your altars. They uh, they they've become Baal worshippers. That was discouraging to Elijah. That wasn't part of his program. The Israelites were going against you know what he was what he stood for, and he felt helpless. He could, he wasn't able to change it. He preached. I'm sure he did. He tried to influence people, uh, but the Israelite nation as a whole was going away from God. And so Elijah felt discouraged and felt helpless and felt like he was useless. Circumstances out of his control. Uh, and Jonah is another example of someone who felt helpless and useless. Uh, Jonah is the strangest prophet in the Bible, as far as I know. He was, he was made to go preach to the Ninevites, and when they repented, he got mad. And he told God, I knew you would do that! And if I would preach to them and they repent, I knew you would sh- stop this judgment deal. He was so mad. That's why I didn't want to go to start with, he said. That's why I went off to, the, went off to Tarsus. Because I knew if you, if I'd preach to the Ninevites and they'd repent, you would not kill them after all. He wanted them dead, because these were enemies of Israel. And Jonah Jonah got so mad about that, and so distressed, and so discouraged, that here he had done this preaching, and they repented, and God withheld judgment. He said, I may as well just die. We asked God to just kill me. I can't bear looking at this. I can't bear looking at these people repented and saved. Uh, Job, Job's circumstances got scrambled. And uh, in the discourse with his, his friends that came, he said, you know, there's a place where people can go and be at rest. It's the grave. I'd feel a lot better there. All the troubles are over there. Even some people have imagined circumstances. They forget the faithfulness of God, for example. The Israelites went through the land of Canaan. The spies went in and and, and toured the land for, for 40 days again. And they came back and the report was that we can't do it. And they weren't reckoning with all those miracles, that guidance that God had given them all through the time from Egypt up to that point. And they imagined that God somehow um, became impotent because they, they arrived at Canaan. And they said, They wish they were dead too. They said, it's better if we would have just died in Egypt instead of having made all this big trip and and, uh, now we're stuck here. They thought being dead would be a better option. So discouragement. Discouragement often brings with it a strong desire to escape. We don't like helplessness. We don't like feelings of defeat. I would not like feelings of, of, of worthlessness. Maybe someone tells you that you're worthless. So maybe you realize it yourself. You're know, like, like I did. Uh, I wasn't able to do what I what I was supposed to do. What I thought I could do. And so you might may feel strong desires to escape. And in this this case, um, the, the people I mentioned thought that being dead would be a really good way to escape. Um, I I couldn't find that David actually ever went quite that far. Uh, Maybe maybe you know of a place where David said he wished he was dead. He were dead. Uh, But he did say he wished he could get out. Uh, There's a verse in uh, Psalm 55, verse 6, where he says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. And he talks about he would go to a safe place in the wilderness and hide from his troubles. So the, the the desire to get out, to get to, to um, be relieved from the shame, humiliation, um, the the stress of failure, can can, can give us a, a a strong desire to get out. And sometimes people people will will you know in their minds at least think that if they could just die somehow, they would be much much better off. Uncontrolled feelings of discouragement um, make people do strange things. Um, the helplessness, the helpless feeling. For example, when Saul was was uh, trying to suppress David's rise to the kingdom, he thought, uh, David didn't come into a, a feast, there were three, three, a three-day feast they were having, David didn't show up. Uh, Because Saul wanted to kill him. (laughs) That's why he didn't show up. And Saul got mad at Jonathan because Jonathan didn't hate David like Saul did. Jonathan hadn't done anything. Jonathan hadn't even rescued David, for example. Uh, Jonathan hadn't gotten in the way, necessarily, of of, of Saul's purpose of killing David. But Saul felt helpless and suppressed... uh, suppressed, uh, Helpless and... um, out of control. And so he lashed out at his son, Jonathan, and he tried to kill him. He threw a spear at him. And I guess he missed because the story goes on from there. Uh, Saul threw spears several other times and missed as well. So, I'm sure it wasn't a good shot or, or if God just intervened. Uh, but we have, we have a tendency to be irrational with those around us when we're feeling desperate, when we're feeling feeling like uh, maybe we're feeling helpless, we're feeling threatened. Uh, we somehow hurt other people around us. Discouragement, like I said, brings feelings of helplessness. And then Saul again. There was a time when the Philistines were coming and attacking the Israelites, and the Spirit of God had departed from him, and he didn't know what to do. Um, He felt helpless. He had earlier... Sent out soldiers to kill all the uh, witches and the wizards. uh, Which was, you know, cleaning out idolatry was a good thing. Um, But then he got so helpless that he wanted to find a witch. uh, A woman with a familiar spirit. And he missed one down in the end door. Uh, Maybe she was a closet witch or something. Somehow she got by. And he went down to ask at, at her mouth to see if she could bring up Samuel because he had tried prophets, he had tried sacrificing, God didn't answer. <clears throat> and so he was feeling at the bottom. And his last resort, he sent off for a witch that he was supposed to have eliminated earlier. This feeling of helplessness drove him to do, do the opposite of what he was, his life was supposed to be supporting and what he had been doing, actually. And, of course, I mentioned the Israelites being helpless before Goliath for 40 days. Uh, discouragement. Feeling, feeling useless. Feeling helpless. Feeling like, like you, know, you can't do what you're supposed to do. Uh, it makes people lash out at others and also at themselves. They get self-pity and start saying things about themselves. There's a... Uh, what do you call it? A popular song, I guess. Um, a child song. It goes something like, "Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms—big, fat, juicy ones." All that. But why would you? Why was why that song popular? Uh, I don't know, back in the '60s. It, it, it's an old song. Oh well, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Okay, I does not go to sing the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Eat, a B C slimy went, Okay, so it gets pretty graphic from there, but this the, the song is somebody feels left out, lonely, and what do they do? Go eat worms. How's that beneficial? Why not go eat broccoli or something? This least be nutrient. <laughs> something more uh, in our culture, at least. <clears throat> if you don't like it. Uh, Well, I think it's because we go and do something desperate. Um, I suppose the songwriter thought eating worms was about the worst thing he could think of, you know, that was still legal to do. And so he wants to go eat worms to show how uh, low down he thinks of himself. Um, I suppose eating worms was not, you know, something that he thought would be a high class thing to do. And so, with all these chances of discouragement and downplaying ourselves and becoming useless and helpless in the world, let to echo Paul's phrase here, and who is sufficient for these things? Well, so we go back to the Scriptures. First Corinthians 10.13 If you don't from memory, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So by the power of God, we can choose not to do the blues. I brought a little of chemistry along today. Um, by the way, I have taught that course numerous times since then. And I'll, I think we get through most of the chapters pretty well. Uh, but I, I'm intrigued by color change. Uh, This is a little um, uh, analogy or whatever. Uh, When life shakes you up, you get blue. But God wants you to just... Getting blue is normal. If you rest in his will, he can clear the blues out. I get uh, a lot of mileage out of watching that reaction. <laughs> uh, because somehow I just like to see the, color, the the blue, the color fading away. I thought perhaps you'd like to try it too. Let's start this one here. Let's start this one about there. So you watch it fade away. Think about the grace of God in your life. What makes... The blues clear out again. It's not just a chemical reaction. That can involve chemical reactions, we'll talk about that just a little bit here. <clears throat> when the shake up comes, God can make the blues fade away. So what's the remedy for the blues? Or discouragement or even depression. Depression is the medical term for uh, long-term debilitating discouragement. Uh, like i said, Before. Sure, yeah, just pass it around. Um, like I said, depending on the severity and the, how long it lasts, they have different names for it. So discouragement... Discouragement is a negative form of courage. Okay? Not having encouragement, discouragement, is not having courage. Well, what is courage? Well, I like to say that courage you get is just a, a quality you get from placing yourself within the approval of God. And you think about Elijah. Was he within the approval of God? Well, nothing we know of. We don't know that God told him to go to the mountain and hide in a cave. Uh, Because God came after him and kind of brought him back again. Uh, Saul, of course, was not in the approval of God. The spirit of God had forsaken him. Um, Jonah was not in the approval of God. (laughs) He did what God said. But as far as his his, uh, obedience went, he was very angry about God's program. Uh, The Israelites were not in the approval of God either when they were listening to Goliath yelling across the valley, valley at them, across the ravine. They weren't they weren't do, uh, doing battle God's way. Earlier in Saul's ministry, his kingdom, earlier in Saul's reign, uh, close to the beginning, the uh, Jabesh Gilead folks got a threat and he rallied up Israel and he went out there and he, he, he just... It away under the power of God. But in the case of Goliath, the Goliath instance, Israel wasn't acting like that anymore. They weren't, in the, they weren't in the approval of God area. And I would say that whenever I've found myself in the approval of God area, that I can have courage. And just thinking back over those ten years ago. Uh, that's where I got courage. From understanding that I was in the approval of God. We moved to Pennsylvania for me to teach school there at Lebanon Valley. From Virginia. Virginia is a really nice place to live. We weren't trying to get away from anything. I uh, we just went got the opportunity to teach science classes, which is, you know, dream job, whatever. So, uh, um, When it didn't go as well as I hoped or expected, uh, I just fell back on the consolation, the confidence that I am here because I felt very certain that God wanted me to be here. And when you can, when you can, for me anyway, logically go through that process, that we made the decisions because of this and because of this and because of this. All chain of events. And re- replay the history up till now. Uh, and come to the conclusion that I wasn't running away from anything. Uh, I accepted God's my provision along the way. Uh, and that's how I got courage. And I think you can too in your life. If we are being sneaky, we can't get Courage. If we're being evasive, if we're being uh, uh, trying to uh, define our own lives. Uh, courage doesn't come. Maybe brashness comes, uh, but not, not courage. <clears throat> Placing yourself within the approval of God. So even in, to, a, to a degree, Jonah did this. <clears throat> he wasn't in the approval of God in the, in the bottom of the ship going to Tarshish. But he dragged himself back. And did the little job God said to do. He preached to these strangers. Uh, he found the courage to do that. Uh, Joshua and Caleb. They realized that they were in the approval of God. As of in, as, uh, uh, going into the land, land of Canaan. And they had courage. They said, God will help us. And God brought us out of Egypt. You know, remember the Egyptians back there? They were floating around in the Red Sea. They, they We... We've seen all these miracles that God did, and God will lead us on further. They knew they were in the approval of God, and they were ready to go. They had courage. And David fought Goliath. He knew he was in the approval of God too. Um, he had he had experience in in being in the approval of God. <clears throat> And so he had courage, and God, God helped him through. Another way, another uh, way to help battle discouragement is remember God's promises. Faithfulness again. Like, ditto, ditto, ditto. This is a faithfulness day of God. So, God's faithfulness in promises. What does God promise? Well, He doesn't promise some things. He doesn't promise that your children will only inherit your good traits. He doesn't promise to give us perfect families. If Johnny inherits your temper, sorry, it's not God's fault. Uh, so, we shouldn't expect that. We shouldn't expect uh, perfect children, in case you're wondering. The, um, we, we shouldn't expect our children to always, always uh, make us proud. Sometimes i will embarrass us. I'm sure I did when I was little. My parents. God does not promise that we will not experience the sickness or death of a loved one. So when it happens, why do people question God? He never promised that it wouldn't happen. That's not part of the promises of God at least not New Testament promises, that in the Israelite kingdom there were a different set of promises of prosperity. But in the New Testament I'm talking about, God did not promise that money would always be plentiful. He did not promise that you would still have money in the bank at the end of the month. Maybe sometimes you have to ask for grace on a bill. You know? You know, God didn't promise that there would always be money to pay a bill. I think we need to be careful about that. In, the, in Psalms, it talks about uh, about the righteous not being destitute. That was in the Old Testament, and you can correct me about that if I, my theology is wrong. Uh, but I don't I don't think that we can uh, hold God to to uh, the promise that we will always have plenty of whatever we would like. God didn't promise that you would always like the food on your plate. God wants us to be grateful for what he gives us. He didn't promise us a nice life, in other words. And so when life isn't nice, guess what? Don't blame God. Anything we get besides God's promises... He's totally extra. And Job Job realized this. He said, you know, I came into this world with not very much. And he said, the Lord hath given, and the Lord hath taken away. It wasn't mine anyway. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have a hard time realizing how much extra blessing that I have. That God's not required to give me. And many, many Christians throughout history have not had. And yet I think it's normal. And if, we were, if, you know, if my life changed in those ways, I would feel uh, devastated or, or feel um, lacking, you know, because our, our, our normal is so strange. Our normal isn't normal uh, throughout, for, you know, compared with the history of the Christian church. So think about, what is it that God actually owes you? He does promise some things. And his faithfulness makes him hold to those promises. Um, I would be happy to hear some uh, some comments here. If you can have just, just uh, go through the scriptures, pick out a verse, and uh, what, what is it for specifically, you don't have to quote the verse, but just a, a, a phrase or something, what is it specifically that God promises to his people? To Christians, the, the New Testament church. So.
1: God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins.
0: Okay. He, he promises us forgiveness for repentance.
1: If we our
0: sins. Right. Yeah. So repentance, He'll uh, give forgiveness. Right. Okay. Good. Thank you. Anything else? Yes. Never leave forsake us. All right. His presence. Right. And Jesus uh, said that at the end of His ministry before He went to heaven I'm with you all the way, even to the end of the world. And in other places as well. That God's, God's presence, He promises to us uh, salvation or God's peace, let's say, or, or about that, about, about forgiveness of sin. Let's say, God's peace, He promises to us. God's presence, He promises to us. What else? Say that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Okay, strength.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah, he doesn't do things halfway as long as we're willing to go along. Good. Yes, and some of these... Yes? I will answer you. Right. Mm -hmm. So the... the, uh, um, we have various ways of bringing in the uh, salvation or reference uh, being right with God. Uh, forgiveness of sins, uh, finishing the work, uh, ant- God answering us. Um, so, anything else somebody has? That isn't salvation or God's presence. Okay, I'm restricting pretty much here. Am I not? Yes. people from ways I will Okay. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, I was just wanting to look up that reference when you get home and see where it's, which is part of the Bible it's found in. Uh, God will... <laughs> God will... uh God will finish the finish the work. God will build his church. Christ will build his church. Uh, these are all different parts of the salvation uh, process, perhaps. Okay, well, I just to kind of summarized summarize the, the promises of God in a couple of couple, uh, broad broad labels here. He's promised us peace, peace with God, salvation. He's promised us peace. He's promised us the Holy Spirit. Some of a separate, separate uh, part of, of God, God's promise. I don't know if we have peace about the Holy Spirit or not, but, uh, he's promised us the Holy Spirit to be with us, uh, to guide us, to provide the voice into our lives. Peace, Holy Spirit, he's promised his presence, and he's promised us eternal life. And the rest of the promises that are, the Bible has lots of them, uh, I, I think kind of fall under those categories. Um, Unless I think of something else that I totally totally missed. I'd be happy happy to hear it. So think about, if you read the history of the Christian church, what was it that all Christians had all the time? They had the promises of God, whatever that was. So, each culture of Christians, each culture of of, uh, of um, disciples of Christ up through the thousands of years, maybe 2,000 or so, whatever, all of them had access to all the time. Because God's faithful. He doesn't leave anybody out. That's what God's promised us. The rest is all extra whipped cream. That's hard for me to believe. I think it looks more like you know, potatoes and beans or something. But it's extra. And so, this helps me to process discouragement a bit, because, you know, what am I losing? So I lost, I lost, um, I don't know, lost a, a business deal, for example. And I get all sad and down the dumps about it. Well, God never promised you to be successful in your business. Not from the scripture, anyway. So think about what does God actually promise you? And he is Guaranteed faithful on those points, and the rest is like Job said: "Lord gave, He take away, and we bless the name of the Lord." And then remember that we live in a fallen world, and even Christians, even God's people, uh, aren't expected to be jolly all the time so times of grief losses losses of uh, loved ones uh, disappointments of various kinds it's not sinful to be um, quiet and serious have a serious moment Uh, you know Jesus in, in, in the Gospels Jesus wasn't jolly all the time Uh, He had some very hard things to say to the Pharisees, for example. And he had his um, submission in the the garden. I don't think Jesus was discouraged because he knew that he was in uh, the place of God's approval. So discouragement isn't the same as having a, a sobering moment. You know, or, or, or you know, moments I uh, think discouragement kind of brings with it the feelings of helplessness and the, uh, like I mentioned earlier helplessness and worthlessness perhaps a hopelessness type of thing Jesus was, 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 was grieved he was uh, distressed emotionally distressed physically distressed at times but he wasn't hopeless I think he was discouraged in that way There's a, a verse in Isaiah that I have thought about over the years, and I didn't quite know how to take it. It's in the Old Testament, by the way. but uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, a, a Bible a whole, a whole Bible principle. Um, Isaiah 26 verse three: "Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee." So, what about um, emotional illnesses or you know, mental illnesses? Does this mean that that they are always uh, a mind a mind problem is always uh, a spiritual problem, a result of sin or unbelief? <clears throat> um, Strong's concordance defines the stayed on part as propped up. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is propped up on God. Well, what if something comes along and kicks your prop out? Then you're not stayed on God anymore. But it's not your fault. Okay. But you lose your peace. All right. So what, what, I, what I mean by that is uh, your, your, your mind works out of your brain. And your brain is a physical organ. And the mind is an immaterial entity sometimes. No one's have found it. Uh, but your brain affects your mind and your mind affects the brain. And so if you are in an accident, hit your head really hard, you can go cuckoo, go crazy. And lose your ability to think rationally. Okay? So that's what I mean by having the prop kicked out from under you. Uh, and so people do strange things. They they um, are difficult to to, to uh, relate to. Uh, and, and perhaps that, that perhaps these kind of situations happen in more in more uh, less dramatic ways than smashing your head, of, you know, in, a, in an accident or something. Um, so I, I would leave room for situations where a person's mind is not rational. Uh, and they have all, you know, various types of, of, of fears or whatever. When it's not, when they're not held responsible for that, uh, that's how I would see this. But because the mind affects the brain and the brain affects the mind, you know, if you have if you have heart trouble, if you break your leg or something, we don't really have the same connotation or the same flavor about that kind of injury when your leg goes like this. As we do, if somebody has a, a, a brain issue that affects their mind, you know that the, the whole flavor is, is quite different. But I, I, th- I think we have to recognize the brain is a physical thing, just like your leg is a physical thing, and things can go wrong with it. <clears throat> my one of my great uncles was a, uh, uh, a uh, uh, an Amish preacher that. Um, he preached around. He was fairly popular in his day. I, don't, I never met him. But he was dead before I was born, I think. Uh, but in his older, his older years, his mind was failing. And when, one Sunday, he was left home, at, left home from church. He wasn't well enough to go to church, I guess. And when the family came home that was taking care of him, he was painting the ceiling yellow of the house. So he you this know, righteous preacher painting the ceiling yellow on Sunday, on Sunday afternoon. <clears throat> okay. So I wouldn't suspect that he was responsible for his actions, <clears throat> and this is one, one example, and and this can be, uh, you know come out in a wide variety of, uh, of situations. <clears throat> so it's very difficult when you when you have a, a loved one or a, a friend that has a a mental uh, is affected in their mental abilities. There's a whole list, a checklist, that you tend to go down through. And unconfessed sin is in that list. Yes, it is. Um, but nutrition could also be in that list. Or, um, you know, maybe some, maybe some medication or something. Uh, your brain is actually a or physical organ. But when, either we, by our choice, take our mind off of, uh, we'll see, off of off of God or if a prop's knocked out of us up under us then we get the same effect either way a similar a similar effect and so just pray for God's wisdom to know the difference i guess but if we if we do what this verse says uh, keep our minds propped up on God on the strength of God and stay in his his, his, his field of approval, then we will have perfect peace. Now, a variety of reasons can cause us to not be that way. Uh, but if, I, think, I think the promise is true. But if this happens, this will happen. We will have peace. I'd like to... I'll let you read the uh, parts of the psalm that I read first that um, I didn't read. I didn't read the whole thing. And i mentioned that David seems to have been a, a, a vivacious person. Um, ups and downs. <clears throat> I read the sad part of the psalm. Maybe you were scanning over the rest of it. I'll read, the, I'll read uh, Psalm 31, uh, 1 to 8, for example. I saw it at verse 9. Here David is propping his mind up on God. In the midst of in the midst of nine to thirteen that I read. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust, let me never be ashamed, deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily, be thou my strong rock for an house of defence to save me. It doesn't sound very hopeless here. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul and adversities. God's with him all the time. God knows him in adversities. and has not shut me up in the land of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. I'm not stuck in a corner. With God, I have, I have space to do, do, do God's will. And then verse 14, But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. Many my times are in thy hand. Deliver me from from the hand of my enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and save me for thy mercy's sake. Uh, Verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. 23. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye who hope in the Lord. That's the other part of the same psalm. And I think that's why David doesn't, that I could find anyway, uh, say it's all useless, let me die. He had a very strong grip on on God's prop. I was um, really uh, glad to be here the other Sunday when I uh, was one that talked the brother talked about the uh, small views we see what's his name who Mick, Mick, Mick Rubaker yes thank you I'm, I don't remember very well I forgot his name Mick Rubaker uh, and, and that helps us in our discouragement uh, temptations so that the bad that's happening to me now is just a little teeny part of God's big picture it's not my whole life's, you know, my life's not wrapped up in this incident that's happening right now. <coughs> and, <coughs> excuse me, uh, having the job I do, I get to teach about uh, God's, God's nature, natural world. And I am really fascinated by metamorphosis. So you have a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon, which is usually his, his skin, and dissolves now I don't know if caterpillars think or not I haven't spoken to anyone about it but if they can have if they have any kind of an awareness probably they don't that must be a awful thing to go through <clears throat> uh, they have you know, I'm just of putting myself into the caterpillar's position which I'm, I'm sure doesn't fit very well uh, but i 'm going through life, and these changes come to my body, and my, uh, my arms and legs fall off, and I become this sausage shaped entity, and go all geesey inside. You know how, how bad can it get? Pretty bad. Mm. But if you realize that somewhere out there, we have no idea what it might be, somewhere God has a a plan. The caterpillar's never see, never uh, interacted with butterflies before. He's never tried it out. Uh, he's totally a faith position, you know. for as caterpillars have faith. <clears throat> so I wrote a little poem about about it once. I'm um, not if I can remember it all or not. I didn't uh, bring it along. Let's see, if I, see if I can. And the title is from inside a cocoon from the outside we can see the whole process you know but from inside the cocoon it would look completely different oh what a dreadful mess I am a caterpillar whined all scrunched inside this dark cocoon I'm sure I'm going blind my pretty fuzz has fallen off whatever should I do my munching jaws have gone all soft they too are in the stew I'll starve if ever I get out I'll die if I stay here. I'm sure no caterpillar's life has ever been this drear. Those dainty feet. Those dainty feet that lightly trod on blade and tender leaf have all been lost amongst the squish. A loss beyond belief. Oh, I have traveled towering stems and leaves both broad and long. Now I shall never walk again. I'm turning out all wrong. Oh, I'm a great catastrophe. I'm sure I'll never know why evil comes to such as I. Such crushing grief and woe. I've always tried to do what's right and love the good and true. But here I ooze in this cocoon of caterpillar stew. That's really discouraging. When you feel yourself becoming caterpillar stew, your abilities are dropping away or being being uh thwarted, you can't do what you thought you were going to do or should do or um but if we can take our minds and keep them propped up on God, stay on thee, uh and through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the uh advice of the scriptures Place ourselves within the approval of God, then by faith we can believe that there is a, a brighter side on the other side. And someday, we will flitter among the flowers of heaven, not needing the munching jaws, we'll be sipping nectar instead. Something we've never tasted before.